Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. All right. Hey, peace. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Today, we have a special guest. We are honored to be speaking with award-winning music journalist, author of The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. Today, we have with us none other than Marcus J. Moore. Welcome, Marcus. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, oh, it's our pleasure. Pleasure. Definitely, definitely, man. Great to see you, brother. Oh, can you hear yeah, us? Likewise, man. Good hearing from you. Yeah, uh, I can hear you loud cool. and clear. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, if we have um, any technical issues, don't worry. Um, you know, we'll just keep pushing through. But if you see me moving around a little bit, that's me <laughs> figuring things out on this side. But great to have you, brother. No, thank you, man. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yes, definitely. So I want to start out by talking a little bit about the book. I mean, we're going to spend more time talking about, you know, um, uh, your your upbringing in Landover, Maryland, um, your path and your journey. Um, One of your contemporaries, uh, colleagues had this to say, Marcus J. Moore's look at Kendrick Lamar's beautifully, beautifully illustrates the power of the word and the great value it holds in the community that birthed hip hop. Therein, we all better understand and appreciate why Black lives and rhymes matter. That was said by Sasha Jenkins, Emmy-nominated director and Showtime documentary documentary director for Wu-Tang Clan. How does that feel? I couldn't believe it. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I mean, because Sasha knows, like, I'm a huge fan of his. Like, uh, you know, I've always wanted, like, I I, I aspire to his career for real. Like, Mm. he's one of these people, as y'all know, like, he he was around in the early 90s and throughout the 90s, uh, helping to sort of uh, document hip hop. But then now he literally does whatever he wants. If he wants to do a documentary, he can do that. But he's also at Mass Appeal. So for somebody like Sasha to say something like that is is crazy. Like with all those blurbs on the back, because you know how it is as a creator, you just figure your head's in the laptop. You're not really paying much attention. And then you look up and you notice that people are noticing your work. So mm-hmm. it felt good, man. It still feels good just to hear that now. Yeah, for sure. man. I mean, you've been putting in work for quite some time. You're yes. not a newbie. You're not a newbie. You've been, you know, I mean, from NPR locally here at WTOP, you know, Washington Post, I mean, Pitchfork, Mm -hmm. The Nation, The Atlantic, Rolling Stone. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Like, you've put in the work, brother. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I still, it it still trips me out that like, you know, just talking to y'all now, you know, like, yo, Stan, I know Stan, like, I know Substantial. (laughs) This is crazy. (laughs) And like, anytime I'm talking to like Kokai, it's like, yo, I could just call Kokai. Like, this is is nuts, man. I still can't believe it. Yeah, Yeah, man. Uh, It's, dude, listen, man, you know, while, while, you know, I I take that energy, I receive it, I appreciate it, but uh, the feelings are mutual, man. You know, um, I said to the homie uh, Natural about a week ago, um, one of my greatest uh, pleasures is being able to look at my friends and the different people 
Um, I've aligned myself over the years and be just as proud of what they're doing as what I've managed to do in my life. And so you're included in that, man. Every time we see a new accolade or, or something um, that you got going on, it's 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 a blessing. You know what I mean? And, and we're happy for you like it happened to us. So keep rocking, you know? <laughs> Your win is all in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, man. Hashtag that, that, my friends are dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it was cool. It was cool. Like even seeing y'all is busy, you know what I mean? Like stuff yeah. like that, I don't take for granted at all. Yeah, yeah for absolutely. sure, man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of home, let's let's take it back to you grew up in Landover, Maryland, which yep, is yep. part of Prince George's County in Maryland. Um, tell us about growing up in the 80s and 90s in PG. Oh, man, it was um, especially growing up in Landover, like it was a very tight knit community. Uh, I grew up on Eli Place, which was mm -hmm. uh, maybe like a block up where well, it was right across from Hill Road. Mm -hmm. And it was a block up from the uh, Glen Willow apartment. So yeah. we were literally on that uh, Sea Pleasant line. So you know how it like, yeah, right. that's where I grew up. And uh, growing up on Eli Place, man, like, um, you know, it, it was a very, it was a, it was a street full of tight knit communities and like really close families. And so you can go up the way and, and have dinner at your friend's house or go over here and have, you know, lunch at somebody else's house. And it was all love. So growing up, in Landover and growing up on that street definitely gave me the sort of uh, family, the backbone that I needed, you know, like, and, and they foster dreams, right? So it's like, you know, it, it's like growing up in Landover, growing up anywhere, where if you have a, a community of people around you who see that you're trying to do something, they see that you love music, and they see that you love writing, and they sort of foster that um, that creativity, it's, it's a blessing. Run up around it. it was it was you know when I tell other people oh, I'm from Landover they just figure like it's this tenuous like <laughs> you know it was life or death or something like that and it wasn't like that at all man it was really it was really chill I mean don't get me wrong it was it was in the 80s and the 90s and it's right by DCs and right. right by Fairmont Heights so right. you know <laughs> I've heard the so stories you, <laughs> yeah so you. So you see some stuff. So it's actually some playful banter that my wife and I have because she grew up in D.C. in the 80s. And so she's like, oh, y'all had houses. And I, and I was like, yeah, we had a house, but I was, I'm still going to the park and I'm seeing all this nonsense. So right. it was, you know, growing up in Landover was, wasn't any different from growing up in the city because you're still yeah. getting the same sort of blowback that they were dealing with. For yeah. sure. For sure. When would you say, while you were growing up in Landover, when would you say you were first exposed to the art, specifically the written word? Um, I want to say it was, um, I was probably five years old. I was probably five years old because, um, you know, I, I grew up sort of infatuated with music from the beginning. Like um, I was born in 81, so MTV was just getting started. Um, naturally, I wasn't watching it in 81. I started watching like 84, 85. Um, but then and there is where I saw, like, you know, I'm seeing everything from, like, David Bowie videos to, you know, um, The Cure to Michael Jackson and all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm I'm looking at all this music, uh, all these music videos, but at the same time, I would just write. Like, I wasn't exposed to to books per se, you know what I mean? I didn't necessarily grow up in that kind of household, but I, I just naturally took to give me a pen, give me a piece of paper, and I'm just going to scribble something. Mm -hmm. So I would say my first introduction also dovetails with when I just 
when I started looking at music videos. You know, mm -hmm. I started putting two and two together at a very young age. Now I veered off the path as I got older, but then I came back to it. So uh, that's a long-winded answer, but I would say <laughs> it was around like I would say like eighty-five, eighty-six is when I was right. like, oh, writing is cool, words are cool. Let me yeah. stick with that. Yeah. yeah. That's what's up. And you and you dabbled with uh, different types of writing mm -hmm. over the years, too. Like, um, of course, uh, yeah. a lot of people know you as a journalist, now an accomplished author. Uh, but uh, but your pen did some other work. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to see if you know, oh, know oh. what I'm hitting toward. <laughs> by the laugh. By the okay. laugh. I think, I, I, see, I think you ahead. know what I'm talking about. See, go ahead, Stan, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's love, though. No, yeah. I actually, I... I um. When did I, I, I used to rap. I used to rap, it was in the fourth grade. Mm -hmm. I started in the fourth grade, I was writing raps. Here's how crazy I was. I was writing raps, right? I was at uh, Kenworth Elementary mm -hmm. in Bowie. And I would show my raps. It, it was like these uh, like super black, like black liberation joints, stuff I had no business writing. In fourth and grade. Years, in fourth grade, I was on some, I was on it, boy. Right. I used to show these joints to my teacher. Mm -hmm. I used to show and she was like this white lady, Miss Emerson. I used to say, hey, I wrote this rap. And I would show it to her. And she would just be like, uh, you a different kind of dude. Yeah, I could tell by her face. Like, yo, you on, this is what you on at nine or 10? Right. Oh, man. But, but yeah, no, that was, uh, that was when I first started rapping. I had a rap group in 1995 called The Final Chapter. It was me, uh, my friend, my best friend, Troy, uh, rest mm -hmm. his soul, and um, our friend, Thomas. All in Landover, we had like, we used to go to studio sessions. We used to do open mics. We used to do little talent shows around Seat Pleasant. Yeah, mm -hmm. man, I, I did it seriously until about 99. I was doing it on the low in Suitland. I just never mm -hmm. really brought, like it's a handful of people like Truth Knows and like um, my man Lance and all these people, Brian, they know, mm -hmm. but I never really made it a big thing because I was never going to be an MC. I wasn't you because I was there when you were there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and I and, and look, and I paid attention, so I was like, oh, I ain't about to rap with this dude. Right. <laughs> Let me go ahead and start writing some articles or something. Right. Yes. <laughs> Let me go ahead and edit because I'm good. I'm out of this. <laughs> but yeah, I, how would you say that's um, informed your your writing? Right, like uh, like being an MC, like how has that uh, strengthened your pen, if anything? Uh, it, it made me a lot more thoughtful. And mm -hmm. um, even in writing the Kendrick book, I was really big on pace and cadence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in recent years, I've become a really big like jazz head. Like I'm, I'm digging in crates. I'm listening to like 60 stuff, 70 stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm really big on like moments. And so for instance, the way I wrote the book, I wrote it to sort of embody a jazz arrangement. So like the first few chapters are very methodical, almost like uh, I would say like Miles Davis, like the the song "Bitches Brew," where it just kind of mm -hmm. it just kind of eases you in. But then by chapter six, when we start getting into to Pimper Butterfly, it picks up quickly and it just goes in a totally different pace. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, man. So to answer your question, like uh, writing raps and listening to music and just being addicted to music. I'm really big on pace in, in articles. I think the big mi biggest misconception with writing is that you need to hit them with like, you need to hit the reader with like $50,000 words. And that's right. not it. You, you, right. you got to hit them with like sustained thought. 
and to keep their interest. Like there's something beautiful in simple and elegant words. And that's what I try to strive for now. And that's what I got rapping with Troy and Thomas 20 years ago. It's powerful. To, to stay in that vein, you know, because it's very different, as you know, writing, you know, for articles versus writing a book. How, talk about the, the transition from writing, you know, 500 words, give or take, to now, what was it, 80,000 words? 80,000. Mm. <laughs> yeah. How was that like? It was hard. <laughs> it was hard. It was difficult. But no, it's... um. I, it, it's almost like working out. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there were some days when I'd wake up with that book. I didn't feel like writing. Like I didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't want to listen to Kendrick. I didn't want to do no interviews. I just wanted to chill, right. but you got to do it every day. Um, so that's the best way. So I would always say like, I want to do at least a thousand words a day. Right. And some days I don't have a thousand. Some days you don't have a thousand words in you. Maybe you have 500, but you can also kind of go heavy on the research. Right. And so that's what I learned with this is that the pace is different and the tone is a lot different. So when you're writing an article, it's quick. You know, mm -hmm. even though your 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 word count may be sixteen hundred words, um, you still gotta get in, get out, talk to this source, talk to that source, come down the middle and and that's it. And uh I actually just relearned this lesson with the second book I'm working on where I wrote the prologue. And it was really, really quick. And I submitted it to an editor and she was like, uh, you need to <laughs> you need to work on this pace a little bit. And so mm -hmm. I realized that, um, you know, writing an article is one thing because it's a lot faster and you, you have to capture people's attention. But I actually prefer book writing because you can you can live in the story a lot longer mm -hmm. and you realize that what you're doing is going to is going to last for a longer period of time. Mm. When you um when you uh tackle a book now now going into your second book do you know like the beginning and end or do you know pretty much the middle and then you develop the beginning later like how does that work for you Um I I pretty much know where it's going to well I I know where it's going to where it's going to begin rather I know exactly where it's going to start so I know what scene I want to open with so for instance uh, with uh, the Kendrick book, I'm like, okay, I need to open with the Macklemore scene because mm -hmm. him losing that Grammy is such a big thing for people and it, people are still talking about it. Right. So I almost did it sort of Tarantino style where, you know, like when you watch some of his movies, it drops you in this crazy scene and then uh, it backs you all the way up. Yeah. And right. it, yeah, so that's what I did with that. So the same thing with De La, which is the second book where it's like, okay, the opening scene is the Arsenio disc. You know, they are the hippies of hip hop kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then it backs up into how they got to that moment. So mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, when you're writing a book, you definitely have to pay attention to scenes because scenes are big because you have to be as visual as possible mm -hmm. when you're writing this stuff, you know, because it's hard with everybody's attention diverted. You know, you have so many things tugging at you now. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to write in a visual way to to try to get people to stick with your narrative for forever long it takes. And so, yeah, I just, for the most part, I'll work through it, but I always know where it's going to start. Um, if, um, and so we all know um, about the Kendrick book um, and I'm super excited uh, about the Dayla yeah. book. Dayla is um, probably my favorite rap group or top three rap groups of all time um, for me personally. Um, yeah. 
But if you could write about anyone um, next, uh, dead or alive, who would it be? Man, there's so many people, but I, I would love to write. I want to write a mini Ripperton joint. Mm. Um, oh my god! I want to write. I want to write many, man. I want to write many. I want to write Alice Coltrane. I want to write um, Pharaoh Sanders. Uh, I mm. think he's another legend. People don't even understand his story. But then when you start unpacking the story, it's like, man, this dude, he's like the guy. But no one, he, the reason why people don't really pay him attention is because he doesn't really get hopped up on stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Pharaoh Sanders and a couple more, like um, I think the world needs a, a Yasin Bey joint. Mm-hmm. Um, because like more than anything else, just to wrap up your question, like, because um, I could be naming people all day. So <laughs> the thing, <laughs> the thing about these books, man, I don't. You, you can go to a, a library, you can go to a, a bookstore, and mm-hmm. you can see that certain people are going to have a million books. Like, you can write a right. million books on Bob Dylan, you can write a million books on Springsteen, right. but we didn't have a Kendrick book, we don't have a Daylight book. I'm trying to write books about people who deserve those flowers, because right. Black music doesn't really get the flowers that it should in literary form, and I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's powerful. Did you want to go? <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about the, the industry that you're in because um, with the last administration, as you know, um, press and media have gotten a lot of flack for um, with a lot of rhetoric like fake news. Um, what would you because you've actually ha- have experience um, outside of music, you've also written about several other topics. What do you see happening for the free press going forward? I think that um, going forward, I feel like, you know, journalists now are sort of breathing a sigh of relief Mm -hmm. uh, because the past four or five years has been like nothing but combat every day. You know, you're getting getting tossed out of rooms, you're getting tossed out of this meeting and that meeting. But I feel that um, moving forward, there is definitely a a sigh of relief, I can tell, just from people I've talked to in the business. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also caution people to not just sort of rest on the laurels because I feel right. that once uh, Biden got elected, the natural inclination is to be like, oh, man, all right, well, cool. All right, well, we back. We're we're back to somebody normal. But you also have to understand that Biden's been a politician for like 40 years. And so, right. so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He knows, so he's, he, he, know, he knows the game. So let's not act like we got uh, a savior in there. You know what I mean? So right. I feel like the free press moving forward if we've learned any lesson from the past four years is that you just got to be incredibly honest. And, and, and I feel like before then we got, so we got lulled into this false sense of security where like maybe certain reporters wouldn't report the truth as they would have in previous administrations. Mm -hmm. So we need to get back to that. Just like the thing I've learned, whether it was working at the Gazette or TOP or wherever, as long as you're fair and you're balanced, mm-hmm. the sources that you're talking to have no problem with what you write. Just make sure that all sides are represented right. and you come down the middle as best as you can. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I would say if we can get back to that and just making sure that all, you know, all bases are covered in whatever story you're doing. And you, you, it's not it doesn't just dissolve into like talking heads on this channel versus that channel. Right. I feel like we can um, we, we can get back to the way press is supposed to be. Right. Definitely. Definitely. What advice um, would you have for like uh, inspiring writers and uh, upcoming um, journalists? I would say 
especially black journalists, be able to cover multiple things. So mm -hmm. even if you come up, like, let's just say, you know, you're a young black journalist, you're at a publication and you're covering general assignment. Think big picture, cover all the stuff. So, and you know, while while you're also going to the school board meeting, also think about the uh, homeless population. You know, think mm -hmm. about um, housing crisis, or you know, think about all different types of thing because things. Because um, when you're a black journalist, you have to almost be a Swiss Army knife in that in that regard. Right. Um, so that's what I would tell young journalists: is to just make sure that your portfolio is as diversified as possible. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, look, if, if that's your passion, great. But if you if you have another passion, let's just say, you know, you're working at a newspaper, but you also like music or you like art. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to go to that thing. You know, even if you don't have clips in that arena, still try it out because the tenants are still the same. You know, you still have to be able to report. You still have to be able to cultivate relationships and talk to people and just be a human being. So if you carry that into whatever sort of beat you're doing and you and you you treat people the way they ought to be treated or they deserve to be treated, you have no problems at all. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, leads me that leads me to the next question, um, which is uh, kind of a different side of things. Right. Like what advice would you give um, to musicians who are oftentimes seeking, um, you know, to be covered in different things like that in terms of their interaction with the press, their, like, uh, the relationships, what advice would you give them? Yo, I'm a, I'm, it's, maybe it's a hot take or a controversial take, but I've always maintained this. Pay us no attention. Pay, mm -hmm. pay journalists zero attention. Like, what, I feel like musicians ought to be focusing on just making the best music they can. Mm -hmm. And I, I firmly believe this. People may disagree with me. But music always has the this way of finding the right ears. Mm -hmm. So if you make something that you believe in your heart is the best representation of how you were feeling on that day, mm -hmm. it's going to find the right person. Trust me. I mean, I'm, that's not to say don't push it at all, right. but don't push it to the point and get your, your hopes up so high that if it doesn't get covered the way you think it ought to be covered, that, you know, OK, let me blow it up and, and do something else because you don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. I would say, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, you, you just have to operate like the press doesn't even exist. You know, when you're in the studio, you're like, yo, this is just gonna be a dope record for my friends or whoever can get with this. And whoever can't, that's cool. Maybe I'll catch them on the next one. Right. Um, I think the biggest mistake that some musicians make is that they make a song, they send it to all the press outlets, they send it to all of these people, and then they get mad and they get discouraged when it doesn't get covered. And it's like, no, make sure you're you're creating a project that no matter when it's discovered, it's timeless. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't make don't make something of the moment either. I would also right. say that. Just like make something where maybe if people don't understand it now, they'll get it 10 or 20 years down the road. And then a whole new generation is tapping into what you're doing. And that's how you live forever. Oh, lightning round question. So I love that answer. Um, and that made me think of a particular project, but I'm going to ask you the question and then I'm going to share what that project is. Um, sure. What do you feel like is uh, an album that probably uh, fits into exactly what you're saying? Like when it came out, people didn't understand it. 
um, got poor reviews. And then years later, like that project gets all the praise. Right. Like what? Like I know you're a music buff. So what yeah. project uh, is that for you? Man, you know what? I, I I haven't seen where it's gotten praise, but I've seen where more people are like, yo, this one was ahead of his time. I remember when the Common Electric Circus hey, record came out. Yeah, Bruh, I knew I when was like, yo, that joke was killing. Yes. I was like, yo, so good. I remember, yeah. I remember, I was, um, I was a senior. I was a senior in college, mm. and the joint was the joint came out, and I always, I always had a thing like me and my best friend Brian, we were roommates at Bowie State. And so we would do this thing where, okay, I'm going to drive to the record store and get these CDs for us, right? And so I went and I got the CD. And for whatever reason, I didn't go back to campus. I, f I forgot what I was doing. I think I went home or something like that. And I'm playing it. Mm -hmm. And so we're texting back and forth. And I'm like, yo, man, I I'm on track 10. I haven't heard a weak song on this yet. Bruh. Like, this joint is next level. This joint Bruh. is crazy. Like, even the um the transitions like between yes. the songs i was like common was a master at that yes. he was a master at that and i remember i was like oh well clearly and then hold on it came out december 10th and i remember the 930 club show i want to say it was like the 17th mm. it was december 17th so i'm in the front row i'm like all in i'm gone right. i'm gone i'm dapping <laughs> right. i'm dapping people up whatever so i'm like okay common about to blow up off of this Man, the reviews came out and everybody hated that joint. I was like, I don't understand. And yes. in, in, in subsequent years, he sort of apologized for making Yo. it. I'm like, no, like this joint is yeah. so anyway. I could talk about that record all day, but yeah, that's I, yeah, I can tell you I had a visceral reaction. I'm so happy that we're all on the, the same, same page. page. Yeah, because yeah. When, you know, yeah. I I found myself defending that record so much. Um, yeah. but I mean, the great thing about talking about it so much was, I, you know, I found myself able to articulate things about the record that a lot of people just missed. And then I was like, man, this dude had a posse cut. I was just getting out of my oh, head. I was just going to say that. That posse <laughs> cut that he had on his album. Oh, that I is, dude, like with all of the different vocalists, there's no chorus, right? Like right. when have we heard this many singers on one song mm -hmm. with no hook? All of them have an original verses and it's yeah. on a rap album and the rapper doesn't even rap on it. He does a spoken word piece to set right. the whole thing off. And he had like, what was it? Jill Scott, CeeLo, Erica, uh, Erica um, what was it? Uh, Omar. Blau. 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 Oh my God. Like, yo, that, that record, I argue that record was a masterpiece, man. But like, but definitely, yeah, it, it was, um, it, it was unfortunate. It was really unfortunate how people uh, just couldn't see the vision. But I saw a um, something where they kind of circle back 10 years later, um, talking about the record and um, and like just kind of talking about the same thing about it being ahead of its time. But yeah, bro, yeah, that was the record that I had in mind when I asked the question after you said what you said. So <laughs> and just when just real quick, I won't belabor it too much, but I'm always like, look, OK, that record came out in 2002. OK, listen to that. And mm -hmm. then go listen to uh, Flying Lotus. Go listen to Thundercat. Mm -hmm. Listen to all of that Brain Feeder stuff that came out. Sarah, listen to all that. Mm -hmm. And tell me, like, that the Common joint wasn't first. But, like, right. I remember a t I did a 10-year anniversary joint where I talked to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was just like, yo, like, don't apologize for this record. This record Please. is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in, too. Like, you know, it, yeah. it definitely paved the way for a lot. Yeah, no, nah, I appreciate that, man.
Yeah. Good, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> that was the test. That was the test. Right, you passed the right, test. Right. <laughs> oh, I get tested all the time. That's all <laughs> Set them up for the oop. Bam, you know. You know, but it, this is actually a perfect segue question because you've given voice um, to the underdog. You've given voice to a lot of independent artists. And I would like to know what is your take as far as how you see music in the future? You know, We see a lot of... Um, you know, there's a lot of cross, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out. Like you you have a lot of people crossing into different avenues, whether it's pop, rock, soul, country. You know, um, Grammys was last night. We made, uh, Beyonce made history being the um, 28 wins, 28 Grammys in since her, her career, a record for, uh, for any woman in the industry. Um, we also had, uh, I didn't get the name, but the country singer, black first black country singer mm -hmm. to be featured on the Grammys. I mean, there's still history being made. Here we are, you know, 2021. What do you, what's, what do you see in the future for music? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, there's this van, this new vanguard of musicians who, may not be mainstream but they're still they're they're equally great mm -hmm. and they're getting the attention that they deserve so for instance like um like you just pointed out and I'm, I'm thankful that you did that like even though the first book is about kendrick the second book is about de la soul my true affinities lie in the underground quote unquote underground um it lies with people like uh moses sumney and like uh, mm. nick hakeem and like uh pink sifu and like all of these people who you know, when the records come out, I'm like, oh, clearly this is this is the greatest. Like, this is amazing. You know what I mean? But for whatever reason, they just don't get the same marketing budget as these other people. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed over the past few years that 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 sort of music is also dovetailing with this sort of new renaissance in black TV and black creativity. Mm -hmm. So about three years ago, I guess it was about three years ago. Um, you have like random acts of flyness come out. You have Atlanta. You have um, what? Now you have like Lovecraft Country. You have all these different shows where it's showing that black people aren't monolithic. And right. it's showing that, you know, if you want something that's super weird and sci-fi, go to Lovecraft or go mm -hmm. to Watchmen. Or if you want like just a funny, understated show with you know donald glover at the helm watch atlanta mm -hmm. but at the same time the reason why i say that is because these people are all they also love the type of music that i was talking about like mm -hmm. um for instance yesterday i had the pleasure of um interviewing the brother uh shaka king mm -hmm. who uh who did who directed judas and the black messiah yeah. and so that trailed off into um a discussion about music and mm -hmm. I'm like, so what are your, you know, he's a total band camp head. So he's like, oh man, I love like Quelle Chris and I love like Arm and Hammer. I love Billy oh. Woods. And, and I'm like, see, it's, so it takes people like that mm -hmm. to put like Quelle in a movie to score six scenes for his joint. It's going to take, right. you know, Terrence Nance putting his brother in the show, which also mm -hmm. brings on like Mavi and like Sweatshirt and all these people. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I say all that to say that you know the, the 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 kendricks and the drakes and the kanye's they're good they're all set right there's now this sort of undercurrent not undercurrent there's this new current rather of like new jazz musicians and, and hip-hop musicians and pop musicians who don't have the same marketing budget as the top tier but their music is so good that you can't deny it anymore 
And so that's actually, the kind of stuff. I like it's so funny that you bring that up because we actually, I was watching um, Hollywood Reporter and Regina King put, um, I forget the sister's first name, but her last name is Joy. She's a jazz singer who sounds exactly like, like Sarah, Sarah Vaughn. Vaughn. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal singer. Yeah. And literally you go on her YouTube page and you know everybody's like, oh, thank you, Regina, for putting me on. And <laughs> right. now this girl, you know, numbers are going through the roof. Right, right. But yeah. exactly what you said, you have a lot of, you know, these, you know, big tier, hot, you know, um, big name celebrity artists who are putting, you know, these um, up and coming or emerging or just working artists, you know, to um, in front of a larger audience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All of us are home, most of yeah. us are home, you know, and have the time. And also shout out to uh, Tiny Desk because yes. um, yes. Bobby and Sid over there have been doing a great job of mm -hmm. putting like Melanie Charles and like all of these people who like historically just don't get those looks for whatever reason. Now they're like, no, they're dope. We're going to put them on this desk and we're going to have them do a Tiny Desk at home or whatever. Mm -hmm. So shout out to them too. I mean, they're they're really big proponents of culture and they, they okay. deserve that praise. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. So we'll shift gears uh, right now. Get back to uh, the books, brother. Um, yeah, so man. What are you What are you reading right now? I'm I'm uh, between you and uh, shout out to the homie Mega Ran, who has a really dope memoir. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what, yeah, are you, no. what are you reading at the moment, though? Oh man, I'm reading. Um, it's tough when you're writing your own book because I never mm -hmm. want to be psyched out because like my friends are too good, so. <laughs> I don't want to read this stuff. Like I can't, I can't read, I can't be writing my stuff and be like, oh, let me see what this Jason Reynolds joint talking about. Then I go right. back to mine. I'm like, man, this joint right. back. <laughs> right. I can't do this, man. This is, but no, um, I, I'm starting. I'm gonna start the uh, Barack book. The mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm starting that joint. Um, mm -hmm. The Dead Are Rising, the Malcolm X book. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, hold on, I got I got my homie's book right here. Wait a minute, I got a plugger. The Havoc of Choice, this joint right here. Okay. Kenyan author, Kenyan author, Shop, you know, Shiru. Yeah, so those, I'm, I'm sort of um, going between those three right now, but um, I try to spend at least a few hours with Daylight, so, you know, that deadline won't creep up on me. But yeah, that's, right. that's sort of what I'm reading right now. Right, okay. okay. So about the book, about the butterfly effect, how did that all come about? Did you meet after, was it after a conversation with Kendrick or what happened there? Oh, no, I tell you, it was, um, I want to say it was 2017. Uh, it was some, it was just a random day. I used to, that was when I was working at Bandcamp full time as their, as their senior editor. And so uh, it was, um, I was walking, I was walking down Franklin Avenue in Greenpoint because our office was in Greenpoint. So it's just a regular lunch break. Um, I'm, you know, and I'm listening to to Pimper Butterfly on headphones and I'm such a jazz head that I was just like, man, there is a book in here. I want to know how Thundercat came into the session. Mm -hmm. I want to know how Robert Glasper got here, how Anna Wise attacked this, how like Layla Hathaway. So then I started thinking and I was like, huh, there might be a book in there. Like, I don't know if it's a whole book just on on that record, but there's a book about to Pimper Butterfly and how it came out during the, the rise of Black Lives Matter yeah. and how, um, you know, his music is is working in concert with all of these different things. And so uh, I tell you, I ran the idea first past Jason, Jason Reynolds, mm -hmm. who's a really good, a really good friend, re really honest. And so I was like, well, if he digs it, now I think I got something. 
And so I ran it past him and he was like, oh, yeah, you, yeah, this is something right here. So I ran it past another brother named Todd Hunter, who um, at the time was a, was an editor at a publishing house. And so we sat down. He actually helped me hash out the idea. And then um, he was sending book proposals like, you know, to help me try to figure out how to get my narrative together to sell the narrative, sell the book. And I noticed there was an agent at the bottom of every proposal he sent, this cat named William Loturco. I hit up William cold. I sent a cold email in 2017, like, yo, man, you don't know me from anything, but uh, <laughs> if we could sit down and have coffee, that'd be great. I got, I want to write this book about Kendrick. And then, um, so as soon as we sat down, literally before the coffee hit the table, he was like, yep, <laughs> let's go ahead and do this. <laughs> and so, the reason why I decided to go with it, because I know Kendrick is such a private character. And so I knew the likelihood of me getting Kendrick or me getting TDE was super low because I mean, I hear that they're really good people. They're just always locked into album mode and they just don't, they don't talk. They don't say anything. So it wouldn't be anything personal if I didn't get them. And I knew that there was enough there in terms of a narrative where I could approach it like a regular article that, mm -hmm. It, it would have been great if I got him, but if I didn't get him, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't hinder the narrative. And right. so thankfully, Atria Books and Simon Schuster felt the exact same way because they hit me with the full court press. I mean, that that meeting, it was everybody and their mama sitting around the table. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Sign, you know, if you sign here, it's this, this, this. So that's um sort of the short version of how that came together. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm listen, the the book is amazing. Um, you know Tell me anything, Stan. Oh no, man. <laughs> listen, you you had me, you had me before I even got into the story, really, because the book starts off. <clears throat> um, He's gonna give you a go reading. Ahead, He's go gonna ahead, give you bro. a reading. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let me let me just tell you how this do how are you gonna start a book like this? So before you even get to the contents really it starts by saying to god and the spirits Ida Hart, raymond Hart, eric Hart, uh lamanda did i say that right lamanda moore, LaManda moore and troy perryman to landover in prince george's county maryland i was like best book i ever read in my life <laughs> best book I, listen. man listen bro I, re I went back and just i man like you know, I mean, listen, we've all been reading uh, all of our lives for the most part. Right. And mm -hmm. so to see that in a book about arguably the most, um, you know, one of to see the hometown in a book about like one of the biggest artists of our time, one of the most important artists of our time um, and the CPG playing a role in that. You know what I mean? Through you uh, was huge for me, man. Like and I'm sure for like anybody else who comes across the book who's from here. Just to, you know, we're, we're one of, I feel like our community um, and people from our community contribute to various industries in so many different ways and contribute to um, black culture over the years in so many different ways. And, and um, it's, uh, we remain a hidden gem. So like, mm -hmm. so it's great when I get to see us on like, you know, um, in anything, when we were watching Insecure and the women were like, oh, yeah, we're from Prince George's County, Maryland, oh, I'm from PG or something like that. You know what I mean? Like every time. <laughs> right. was, hey, you know. And so, right. yeah, man, I. I, I or, the, or the young man in um, Coming to America, too. Yeah. That I uh, 
Yeah, man. He's from PG. That's right, from Hyattsville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hyattsville. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's just it's always it's always great to see people from the area. You know what I'm saying? From the area, you know, it's always <laughs> you are. always a great look. So you know, of course, we were proud regardless. You know what I mean? Even if you, we would have been proud even if you were from Montgomery County, right? <laughs> or but, Fairfax. <laughs> or Fairfax. Okay, thank you. You know, but you know, but. There's a special place in my heart for anybody from PG. You already know. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. Actually, when it, Kev Brown hit me too when he saw that, when he that's saw it to Landover, he hit me like, "Yo," mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "That's right, Landover." Yeah, man. man. Yeah, right. man. You know, I wanted to ask you because I know, especially in hip hop, people always talk about top five, top five. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you that top five, but if you had to choose, um, what are your top five books? Mm. Um, I'm going to say, uh, between the world and me, because it also has some PG elements in there, mm-hmm. um, in no particular order. Cause my, my brain, I don't want nobody coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, I love, um, Hanif's book, Hanif Abdul-Rakib's book on a tribe called quest. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead in the rain, um, was a joint because he revolutionized, I think how you write about the living. Um, you know, because he made it about himself and he didn't really have like, you know, interviews and such. It, it was like a personal account. So all my joints are probably going to be music books, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. But um, yeah. But no, I also loved um, and it, there's another recent joint. Um, Jason Green's book. Um, he was a colleague at Pitchfork. He, he wrote it's called Once More We Saw Stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was a memoir about the passing of his daughter at the age of two. Wow. Um, I remember that day, like, yeah, that was that was a that was a sad day. And so he wrote a whole book about it. And it, it was very therapeutic in a way because Jason is just such a he's such a beautiful writer, man. Mm. Um what else? I like the Dapper Dan joint. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Dapper Dan joint was killing. And um I like um oh man the purpose of power, the new uh, Alicia Garza joint was really dope too. Yeah, yeah, those are, I mean, I'm sure there's a much better list out there, but those are the things that are just sort of on my spirit right now as I write my own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those are the books that sort of stick with me. Absolutely. That's what's up, that's what's up. How about you, Mrs. Robinson? Give me two. Oh gosh. The, uh, give me two, off, yeah, off the top. All right. Off the top? Off the top. You know, I'm reading um, Ta-Nehisi Coates's um, Eight years we were in power. It's been it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle to read that one because of not only because it's very scholarly. I mean, it's research. It's more of a research versus a narrative. Um, so that's what I'm reading now. So that's what's fresh in my head. Oh God, I give you two. Mm-hmm. Why you put the pressure on me? I'm, I'm not the guest. Oh, okay, I know, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Maybe they want to know yeah. what we think too. You know, we talking about books. Why not? Give them you some know, okay, it's not necessarily my top, but it, it it's it's ingrained in my brain because it was also a very difficult book to read is Ruthie. Um, Mm. (laughs) It was one of Oprah's best books is on her list. And it was a very difficult read um, talking about Mm. it's, it has the whole spirituality aspect and, you know, women and it was just, you know, but it's ingrained in my mind. I have trauma from it. But um, other than that, yeah, those are the two that stand out. What about you, Mr. Robinson? Uh, What are you reading? Oh, I got you. No, no. Well, I already said what I was reading, but my favorites, my two of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, uh, To Smile in Autumn. Um, You know, To Smile in Autumn. uh, 
by Gordon Parks. Definitely, That's man. Your boy. Yeah, Gordon. Gordon's one of my heroes, man. Um, but yeah, that book. Uh, I, like, I was mad that I discovered it so late. Um, but I was mad that I discovered it late. But at the same time, I feel though you ever you ever find a book and you feel like you found that book at the moment you were supposed to find it because it yeah. was speaking to your truth of the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what that book was for me, because I was I think I was just in my 30s, just getting into my 30s and then reading a book called To Smile in Autumn, which is talking about him in that transition of his life, moving um, into those later years, you know, what I mean, leaving his 30s and then figuring out what to do next. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, of course, I mean, I, I, the easy one is uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, but just to switch it up, um, because. I, I love, man, I'm a super Chuck uh, Polinick fan. I'm not sure if you ever read Chuck Polinick. He's not for everybody, but um, he has an excellent book called Lullaby. Um, and he, I've read several of his books, but Lullaby is probably my favorite. Um, yeah, but definitely Lullaby is uh, really dope. It's about, uh, well, we'll talk about that offline, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's dope. But, uh, but yeah, man, yeah, um, you, you were going to... I was going to ask you, you know... Um, you know, we, I know as a, as a writer and now as an author, um, as a, even a DJ. Mm-hmm. So oh, <laughs> if you had to choose, if you had to choose just one for to do the rest of your life, which one would it be? Oh, which, which thing? Yeah. Um, one of those things. Yeah. I'm going to say as hard as it is writing. Right. Writing, man, writing, writing books. I know I complain some days. Like even today, I had like this, uh, this low moment of like, now I don't feel like doing nothing, man. Like I don't feel like doing anything. <laughs> but then I don't know. It's a weird phenomenon, and and maybe y'all can speak to this too. I just love the look of like font on a page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's double space, and you, you're making sense, and it's like you almost. It's almost like writing a blackout verse, right? Where yeah. like, mm-hmm. oh, this one is killing. So. Right. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So that's how that I, I would do that. I mean, as difficult as it is to sometimes get books pushed through and to get ideas and have editors just sort of picking at your brain a little bit. I it, It's not, nothing beats the feeling of when the book comes out and love it or hate it or, you know, whatever. People are like really, really responding to it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure, man. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I was good. You know me. I might I might go left. So, you know, <laughs> six his script. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead, you know, no, nah, nah, it's all right. You got it. You got it. You know. No, because I know we're about to we're about to wrap up, but I wanted to um because you're you know, you like you said mentioned before, you know, digging the crates, you have a, a, a very very diverse collection of what you listen to. Um heaven forbid, right? There's a fire, and you could only select Five records. Mm. What is the five? Okay. I'm going to go Eddie Gale's uh, Ghetto Music album. Mm. Okay. Shabaka and the Ancestors, mm. Wisdom of Elders. Okay. D'Angelo Voodoo. Oh. Of course. I mean, you know. <laughs> D'Angelo. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, D'Angelo Voodoo. Um. I'm trying to think of some off the beaten path joints because I like shouting people out. Mm-hmm. Um, yo, I don't know if y'all heard this record. It came out last April. It's a it's a lot. It's a lot now. But mm-hmm. 
uh, Pink Seafood, we were talking about him. Yeah. He came out with this record called Negro. Mm-hmm. That was like, you know, it's one of those things, even though it's a lot, I come back to it. Mm-hmm. And my last joint, um, simply because, again, I know it's an obvious answer, but to Pimper Butterfly. Mm-hmm. To Pimper Butterfly, because I, it's one of those records that even though I wrote about it and I wrote a book about Kendrick and all that, I can still go back to it and pick out stuff that maybe I'm like, dang, did I talk about that in the book? No, nah, I didn't. Like, you right. know. That kind of stuff. So those are the those are the five that I would grab up right away. I'm, I know I missed a lot, but I try to I try to get joints that are not like the classics or the easy answers. Right, right, right. 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 I feel that. Oh, yeah. So one thing we didn't talk about, um, which I think, because uh, a good amount of the people who who listen to our podcast um, and now starting to watch the show. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, visual artists, a lot of musicians, a lot of just a variety of creatives. And um, some of the creatives in our circle, like yourself, uh, like, you know, happen to split their time um, in different locations. So so besides uh, living in the U.S., um, you also uh, you and your wife um, shout out to her because she's also amazing in her own right. Um, But, you know, y'all y'all live in Kenya, correct? Yeah, yeah, we, we I, that's where I am now. Yeah, we're in Nairobi. Um, yeah, we split man. time between um, Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. Y'all know exactly mm-hmm. where we at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Washington and Decap. So we yep. over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Our old neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we split time between Brooklyn and um, in Nairobi, um, essentially chasing the sun because, again, my wife just cannot deal with weather. Like, mm-hmm. once that temperature dips to like 40, she's like, all right, gotta go. go. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't care. I'm like, I'll lay her up. I'll still go to the show and whatnot. But uh, she's like, no, I got to dip. So yeah, that's what we do. Six months on, six months here. Right. How how has that affected uh, your creative process and like uh, you know just y'all energy in general? Like how like how has it um, helped y'all develop? Yo, I mean, I I, I would say like sixty percent of the Kendrick book was written out here. And just from a pure logistics standpoint, it's it's helpful because it's seven or eight hours ahead. So right now, seven hours ahead because of daylight savings time. But any other time is eight. So I feel like I can wake up here at nine o'clock and have a full day of book writing before my email even starts moving. Right. And then from there, I can, you know, determine, OK, I'm going to write this article. I'm going to listen to this record at night or whatever, whatever. But just from a. um a meditative standpoint, it was incredibly helpful because I didn't realize how much I needed to be here until I got here because it wasn't on my radar at all. Like, I mean, for me, New York is it, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, it, we live in a great neighborhood and it's still not far from home. So I can still hop on the Amtrak or hop on the bus mm-hmm. and I'm home in like three hours. And that's important for me as my folks get older, you know, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's just being close. Um, but being out here, it's like, you don't realize how traumatized you are as a black American until you move out here. Because for the first few months, you're just expecting stuff to like happen, you know, or you're walking around with this tension that you don't know why. But then you realize that the people out here don't have, they have no sort of frame of reference for the sort of tension that you, that you came up with. And then in turn, they help ease it. You know what I mean? Just by being themselves and just by, you know, being easier, the quality of life is better. Yeah. And so um, 
it's helped us in that regard, but I would be lying to you if I said that I don't miss Brooklyn terribly um, mm -hmm. because it's just, again, you know, between before pre-COVID, you know, whether it was jazz shows or whether it was like, mm -hmm. you know, just being in the neighborhood, that's the kind of creativity I need. So right. I feel that moving forward, we've been talking about this. We're going to be spending more time in Brooklyn, but we're still going to have a place here. But we're not going to be here as often right. as we have been the past couple of years. Right. Mm. Wow. This is so good. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Man. Thank you so much, Marcus. This was great. Um, you know, we want to wish you continued success and blessings with this with this book, with with the Dela book and with all of your projects in between. So we thank you for spending the time with us. I know it's like it's late <laughs> where you are. No, it's cool. But um, <laughs> we just want to thank you for taking the time to, to share with us and and, you know, with our audience. And again, just wishing you all the best. Oh, likewise. Mm -hmm. No, thank y'all. No, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's like talking to family, so it's really no problem at all. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sure. I, I'm glad I hope I answered your questions. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, man. <laughs> man, listen, right? Oh, don't you cuss me out too bad. I was like, don't cuss me out too bad once the camera go off. Like, that damn man ain't say <laughs> nothing, young. Nah, man. No, you, no, you, you did, did perfect. Yeah, you, you were great, perfect. man. You were great. I'm sure, I'm sure our audience uh, will enjoy it. Those who haven't um, watched yet, or heard it yet will definitely um they're going to enjoy it man like you you are besides being talented you've always been gracious with your time yeah. um and so you know we definitely appreciate that and i'm sure the listeners are going to appreciate it too but um but yeah man seriously we appreciate you bro no problem at all man thank y'all all right best yeah. of luck to you all right thanks all, all right. right thank you all Let's right so definitely everybody thank y'all for watching make sure uh you hit the like button and subscribe to our channel um you can also donate to our child channel as well if you'd like to um you can check out the banner on the main page and make sure you follow uh marcus j moore on social media um uh on twitter is marcus at marcus j moore um and on instagram it is underscore uh at underscore Marcus J. Moore. All right. Uh, I, I was struggling there. It's like, it's all right. It's okay, man. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got this. But yeah, but we're going to go ahead and uh, head out with the outro. And uh, yeah, man, y'all be well. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.